Hey, hello, and welcome back to the Video Trauma Podcast, your unwilling guide to the world of video nasty. I'm your host, I see dead people, Ryan James. And I'm the imaginary friend that appears in your child's sinister drawings, Callum Clark. Each week, we will tackle one of the 72 banned exploitation films, so you don't have to. This week, we'll be exhuming and dissecting Possession and Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. Both from 1981. Let's get nasty. So our previous episode was a Christmas special where we tackled four non-video nasty films. So as that went quite well, we have decided to bring forward this idea of doing multiple films per episode. Covering just one movie in an hour-long episode has been difficult for us, and I imagine it's been difficult listening, because when the movies say an hour and a half, hour and 20 minutes long, and we've got an hour, 40 minutes to an hour review of that movie, we're covering it very much blow by blow, which isn't... I don't feel is the most entertaining of ways to go about it. I think that we should be giving a review of the movie and not a direct recap of every single scene. 100% agree with you on that one because I've been listening to him back and some parts it's literally blow by blow. Like They went over here, they went over there. So I'm looking forward to doing two films because one, that shortens the amount of time we have to watch these movies. Yeah, we we both really enjoyed doing the Christmas episode, didn't we? And that was four movies. That was four movies and they were fairly current ones. And it was fun, whereas a lot of the video nasties we're doing fall shy of the fun mark. Uh, certainly the one, one of the ones that we're covering this week. To be fair, it's quite interesting really, isn't it? Because this week covering two, we've done the best one we've done out of the video nasties so far. Yep. And the worst one undoubtedly the worst one in our opinion because the the one that we consider to be the worst one is probably one of the most highly rated video nasty that has happened twice so driller killer is another one which we've covered which was widely loved by a lot of people but we just it it was uh. well driller killer comparative to the one that we watched this week um oh yeah is is a good film (laughs) yeah there's actually a somewhat of a plot to that one whereas this one we'll get into it later on but (laughs) Yeah, brace yourself. Luckily, like we said, we've got the counterbalance of the really good film to sort of offset the not-so-good one, in our humble opinion. Yeah, we're coming at it as, like, from the angle of not a critic, very much. Just people who enjoy movies and consume a lot of media and giving our opinion based on that. We're average audience member. I feel like our opinion still should count. Yeah, but it's, it's one of those, like, people who review movies come at it from the angle of... Like, from a critical eye. I can appreciate good filming, good scripts. If, like, say, it comes at the cost of the film's terrible, but, like, there's elements which are really good. I can appreciate stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I have to like it. Y- yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for your support. On that note, what is a video nasty, Callum? So, video nasty was the term given to the 72 films which were vilified in the UK for their violent or offensive content. The moral panic surrounding these films led to an increased tightening in censorship on horror movies of the 1980s and early 1990s. Spearheaded by the conservative activist Mary Whitehouse, the witch hunt for moral superiority led to the creation of the Video Recording Act 1984, which resulted in the 72 video nasties being pulled from the shelves and many filmmakers being prosecuted under the Obscene Publications Act. So what have we been watching, Callum? Uh... The most current movie that we've watched is probably Megan. Um, So we watched that in cinema on Friday. Uh, It was brilliant. The only thing that sort of annoyed me about the movie is the audience members were very young and there was a lot of like 
because we always sit at the back in the cinema. Yeah, we do. There was a lot of screens and there was a lot of talking. There was a lot of distractions going on in that cinema. And my it, it makes my piss boil when stuff like that happens in a cinema. It's just like, I've paid to be here, guys. You've paid to be here. Have a conversation before you go into the cinema. See, I, this is like the Netflix generation because everyone's so used to watching stuff at home, like with Netflix where they can pause it, chat over it or rewind bits. But obviously that doesn't translate well into cinemas. Yeah, I definitely think that like, because we were cinema goers pre-COVID and post-COVID. There is a marked difference. There is, yeah. I don't I don't think people, like those sort of like social rules regarding cinema viewing have kind of not so much gone out the window a little bit, but people aren't sort of self-enforcing any sort of control on themselves. It's just like, just yeah. put your phone on airplane mode. There it's is only an hour out of your day, two hours out of your day. This is why I like going to matinees because middle of the day, people are in work or college, cinema's quiet, it's nice. Yeah, but like, it's, it's, in it's... recent times, we've gone cinemas and it's like, say, a popular film. Yeah. There is always just people on the phones talking and stuff like that. It's like, just if you're not enjoying the film, leave. I, I'm, I am a shusher as well if people are talking in a film. Um, I only ever shushed someone once and that was, funnily enough, the original Avatar film. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, um, we sat there with our friends looking forward to it because there was a big hype when that film came out, if you remember. Yeah. Like, it's amazing, it's 3D and all this. So we went, and then we had, like, I recognised them behind us. So we were, like, a group of teenagers from my school. I think they were the year below, and they were talking. And the first time and only time I've ever shushed someone in a cinema was then. So the, the specific people who I really dislike in cinemas are the ones who need a running commentary alongside. Mm-hmm. They will like lean to the person next to them and be like, what's happening? What's going on? It's just like, if you weren't looking at your screen, you would see what's going on. And if you don't know what's going on, there's a reason why the movie's designed for you to be constantly guessing at this point. You don't need someone else who's watched the same thing that you've watched to then tell you, we don't know yet. Just, <laughs> just watch, just watch the story. Enjoy the ride. Don't talk. So yeah, so our Megan cinema experience was poor, but the movie was good. It was fun. It was a fun romp of a movie. Uh, it was definitely written by a boomer. Technology bad uh, is the general overarching theme of this. Uh, and the aunt who is like the star of the movie is a terrible human being on all counts. Uh, I, she's not a likable person, I didn't think. I completely disagree. I think the aunt's neighbor was a dick. And got everything that was coming to him. I felt like, because there's a debate at the start where the neighbours are just like, oh, sorry about that. And like, the, the, the neighbours being apologetic and things. And the aunt was just being a bit of a bitch. Yeah, but if we were being sprayed with chemicals, no matter how accidental it was, would we be happy? She was I just wouldn't. She was just jet washing her garden. People jet wash all the time. With like, chemicals. Right, okay. Well, it's, it's one of those. There's, there's nicer ways to talk to your neighbour and reason with them. I didn't like the ant in this movie. I thought she was a very unlikable character. I did want her to die all the way through it. Imagine being put in her situation for a moment. Like, yeah. say, your brother has a kid, your brother dies, you inherit the kid. I simply wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> say you didn't have a choice in the matter. You inherited the kid. Like, you're not great with kids. Like, the main character wasn't great with kids. Like, it doesn't make her a bad person. <laughs> I have been selected because I'm quite a responsible person. Like I've got a fairly responsible job. Um, I have been selected by people to be godfather to their children. 
And I declined, and it was like, I, I get it's supposed to be an honor and things like that, um, but I've always declined just because it is then expected of you if anything happens to them to then sort of like step in and look after them outside of like you're not a family member but you're the godparent which is like it's also like a religious position as well like you're in charge of that child's education in religion but i'm not religious at all so it doesn't make any sense to me but like when someone comes to you and it's supposed to be just like a nice thing just like we like you and respect you enough to be a god godfather to our children and i just like no <laughs> it's because i really i'm not good with kids i i'm not i'm not a fan of children when they get to like 10 things like that like they become like little little adults then and you can sort of like have a joke with them and a laugh but like pre that age yeah i'm not great with kids anyway back on track with the movie review callum i didn't go off a tangent however there is a scene which i will kind of a little bit spoil for you where a child dies <laughs> and me and callum were the only ones in the cinema who laughed at that it was it was a fucking funny thing but it was like it was for me it was like i wanted that child to die because he was clearly a bully and i as someone who's been bullied it's just like every single bad feeling i had towards any sort of like childhood bully i was like good good glad he died there's a trend of making children's deaths in horror films quite comical these days when if you think back to halloween ends and we almost pissed ourselves when the main boy in the start falls down the flight of stairs with his big heavy head. I feel like horror movies have sort of like left children out of it for like a long, long time. They almost wanted to sort of like protect children from horror movies and things. So it's it's good that kids are being reintroduced to horror films as well. And it's good that these children are also dying in horror films. Like you're not you're not safe just because you're a child. They've finally given us the content we want. We want child we want. deaths. Give us more of it. <laughs> <laughs> Something we have been watching fairly recently, which was inspired by our Christmas episode when we covered Tales from the Crypt movie, was Tales from the Crypt, the TV show. I would say much better than the movie. It's definitely, it's moved away from the UK and gone over to America. And it's, I, I love the Crypt Keeper. The Crypt Keeper is so camp. Yeah. But yeah, brilliant. There's always a lot of like big name actors or directors and things like that in them so far. We've watched all the whole first season, haven't we now? Yeah, we're on to season two. We're on to season two now. And it's been like like Arnold Schwarzenegger directs an episode. That was a bad episode. It was a bad episode. But yeah, it was just like a little cameo appearance from Arnie at the start of it. You're like, what? But De yeah. Demi Moore was in one as well? Demi, Demi Moore was in one. That was a very good one. It was almost a sort of... Um, portrait of dorian gray-esque sort of thing but like it's it shows the comic book uh, at the start of each episode which the stories come from as well i thought yeah. the very very first episode of season one was a brilliant story i loved it about the electrician and uh, not electrician the electrician who's also uh, an executioner oh yeah yeah um so the guy who flips the switch on a um electric chair and things the story's all based around him and i thought it was a brilliant story and it, it hooked me right from episode one to be fair, I always think horror is done best in anthologies. Yeah, even if it's a like it, the episode's not to your taste, it's short enough for you to be like, well, let's just see what the next episode is. See, that's the issue I had with Twilight Zone season five, I believe, because like the normal format of the old Twilight Zone is like half an hour per episode, but season five they decided to crank it up to an hour. And if, if the story, like more often than not, Twilight Zone hits out the park, but when they don't. You know, you're just like, oh, well, it's only half an hour. I can outlast that. But when it's an hour, it's like, mama, please. <laughs> I like to watch like a series of Twilight Zone every year. When did I get the box set? Like 2018 or something like that. Mm -hmm. 
So I watch one series a year, but I'm onto the final like series now. So don't know what I'm going to do after that. A film that I watched recently on Disney Plus, Banshees of Inner Sharon, I watched very recently, and uh, I'd heard about it from uh, like glowing reviews and did well at the Oscars. Uh, I think Colin Farrell got Best Actor for his role in it. It's very in Bruges level humor, and uh, if you've watched Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, it's that sort of humor. It's like dry, slow burning um, sort of comedy. I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Almost Shakespearean a little bit, with like um, the old lady signifying like... Oh, she's supposed to be the Banshee of Inisherin. So Banshees in Irish folklore, um, when you see one, they sort of signify a death is coming. And there's there's an older lady, like significantly old. She's like way into her 80s, this woman. Uh, but I think she's made to look older, like as though she's in her 90s. And uh, she's always kind of lurking. Everybody avoids her, but because she's not a very nice person. But she predicts two deaths that are going to happen as well. So she is essentially the Banshee of Inisherin. If you're looking for it, like the title being tied off and things. But she does these very ominous sort of like waves from the distance and things <laughs> like that. And it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's great. And there's a couple, like, the characters that are in it, I really liked. They're quite well written, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all sort of very fleshed out. Within the first sort of 15 minutes, I was like, I'm enjoying this. This is good. Um, so it was about two friends who have a falling out and they're trying to sort of, well, the Colin Farrell's character is trying to repair that friendship and just being knocked back and knocked back. So his friend is getting a bit older now. He's very concerned that he's not going to leave a mark on the world. And because Colin Farrell's character is so dull, he doesn't want to spend his last, his remaining years with this dull person who's just constantly talking to him and distracting him from doing what he wants to do, which is write music and leave a lasting impression on the world. Yeah. I thought it, it was just, it was very, very funny. So as the films we're covering this week deal with family issues such as um, jealous parents, neglectful parents, we've decided to look into troubled families throughout history and their horrific stories, which in turn could inspire an, a movie of their own. So the first family we're going to be looking into is Nanny Doss. Nanny Doss, also known as the Giggling Granny, was an American serial killer who was active in the 1920s and 1950s. She was convicted of poisoning four of her five husbands, as well as her mother, two sisters, a grandson and a nephew. Doss was born in Alabama in 1905 and was known for her charm and her fondness for laughing. Despite her friendly and harmless appearance, she was a cold-blooded killer who used poison as her weapon of choice. She would often use arsenic, which was easily obtainable at the time, to slowly poison her victims over periods of weeks or months. Doss's motives for her murders are not entirely clear, but it's believed that she killed for financial gain and to escape from unhappy relationships. She had a troubled childhood and a tumultuous personal life. She may have also had personality disorder that made her unable to form healthy relationships. Doss was arrested in 1954 and confessed to her crimes. She was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. She died in prison in 1965. Her case received significant media attention and was widely covered in the press, making her one of the most infamous female serial killers in American history. Another unsettling family are the Bloody Benders. The Bloody Benders were a family of serial killers who operated in Kansas in the 1870s. The family consisted of John Bender Sr., his wife Elvira, their son John Jr., and their daughter Kate. They owned and operated a small inn along the Osage Trail, a popular route travelling to the west. The Bender family would lure their travellers in, where they would kill them and rob them of their valuables. 
The murders were committed in the family's death room, a small soundproof room at the back of the inn, where the victims were killed by blows to their heads. Their bodies were buried in a nearby orchard. The family is to believe to have killed at least a dozen people before they abruptly left the area. The Bender family's motives for these murders remains unknown. Some have theorised that their inn was non-profitable and they were in need of money. Others believe they were simply sadistic and enjoyed killing. The Bender family were never caught and their, and their whereabouts and fate remains unknown. Our final entry is the Sawney Bean Clan. The Sawney Bean Clan was a supposed Scottish family of cannibals and serial killers who were active in the 16th century. The story of their clan, which is said to have been led by a man named Alexander Sawney Bean, has become a popular legend in Scotland, but there is little evidence to support its veracity. According to the legend, the Sawney Bean clan lived in a cave near Galloway and survived by robbing and killing travellers who passed by. The clan was said to have consisted of 48 members, including Bean, his wife, his children and his grandchildren. The story goes that the clan were finally caught up and brought to justice when a group of travellers they attacked managed to escape and alert the authorities. The entire clan was rounded up, tried and executed. However, there is no historical evidence to support the existence of the Sawney Bean clan or its alleged crimes. And now to our feature presentation. So the first movie we're going to be looking at this week is the 1981 movie Possession. Possession is a psychological horror film directed by Andres Zulwatan. That's a horrible name to pronounce. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Directed by... I'm going to sound it out. And... Rezej Zl... Zlorski. Okay. Yes. Andy, for short. Um, <laughs> and starring Isabel Adjani and Sam Neill. The film tells the story of a woman named Anna who is going through a difficult divorce and is struggling to come to terms with her husband's infidelity. As her mental state deteriorates, she begins to experience hallucinations and visions of a monstrous creature that may or may not be real. The film is known for its intense and disturbing imagery, as well as its exploration of themes such as mental illness, infidelity, and the breakdown of relationships. The performances of Ajani and Neil are considered to be among the best of their careers. Did you just say... This was considered Sam Neill's best performance of his career. Yeah, you got a problem with that? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I didn't even realise he was in Jurassic Park till halfway through the film. What I did realise he was from was he played Damien in the third Omen film, which he played really well. So, it's not... <clears throat> I imagine it was a very difficult role to play in this movie. So let's get this out of the way. Every single character in this movie is completely unhinged. Unhinged and overacting. <laughs> and, like, people will be spinning while they're talking and, like, banging into walls and things. There was a lot of that, wasn't there? Like, yeah. they'd be having conversations and being in a rocking chair going back and forward dead violently. This, this movie will make you dizzy. Because, like, not only sometimes you get characters spinning as they're talking they will literally be like twirling around and doing weird dances as they're talking <laughs> there's the what the camera does as it's sort of going into a scene will kind of rotate around the characters and it's just very not unsettling but more like more, distracting a little bit disorienting where you're just you're trying to focus on what's going on i would say if you're trying to focus too hard on this movie to understand the plot or what the, mm. get the, the character's motivations and things like that, you will struggle. Because um, uh, there was a few times where I just had to pause this movie 
and sort of discuss it with Ryan, like different sort of scenes, just like, so what's happening? I don't understand. And like, we've had to like talk it through as we're watching the movie. Not only that, there was at least two occasions where I physically had to call you back to watch the film because you're like, no, leave it playing. I'm just going to go do this. Like we are reviewing this film. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I have to suffer. So do you. My ADHD distractedness just sort of took over. And I was just like, I'm going to go over here where this is like less... (laughs) Less things going on, and I can sort of focus a little bit more. I found it incredibly difficult to focus on this movie. Yeah, like I believe I described it as it was a film where it was like you were channel hopping. So like you'd have a really random action bit. Yeah, it was like explosion. There was there wasn't a small budget, was there? No, that like the the details on the monster and like all the effects they used, like that looked expensive. Yeah, and there was like very expensive looking buildings which were set on fire and things like that so it's it's all set in east berlin but it didn't really play into any part of the movie i think sam neill's character was supposed to be a spy something like that there it was, was... A, there was a whole thing of like where he was having an interview but like it's at like the very start of the film wasn't it yeah yeah but there's conversations between people in this film where they're just they're just making noise essentially like they'll be so an example of that would be if the wife was sat there talking she would say something like there are two sisters inside me one of faith and one of clarity one must kill the other i don't know which one's which it'll be things like that that are sort of being discussed and he's just like but it'll be the husband and the wife having this conversation the wife will be telling sam neil's character this and he'll just be like, oh, that makes so much sense. And there's like a third party to it, like an older German guy. Heinrich? Heinrich, who's like sleeping with the wife. And at one point, like, get him and Sam Neill get very close at one point as well. Yeah, there's they, a weird there was, fight scene between them. There's a lot of weird sexual tension throughout the there's film. A, there's a lot of like touching that people just wouldn't. Do like a lot of very unnecessary touching. There was a couple of like I'm obviously I'm not a parent, but there was a scene where Sam Neill just holds his son topless, and it was it made me feel really uncomfortable. Well, it's because the next scene as well, he holds his like topless what? wife in the exact yeah, same it's, yeah. But like every sort of character relationship in this, it's like underpinned by this weird sexual tension, even when like. Sam Neill's character goes to fight Heinrich's character after he finds out his wife's been cheating on him. Like, it's almost like it's a prelude to them having sex, like stroking each other's chests, and it's all very... But is that across... The only relationship where it's not like that is between Sam and his wife. Yeah, they obviously hate each other, but every single character in this is completely unhinged, and they talk nonsense throughout the entire movie. None of them make any sense. Their actions don't make sense. Um, the sort of motivations for certain things don't make sense. Like Heinrich's mother likes listening to Sam Neill's wife and Heinrich having sex in the next room. She like puts fresh sheets on the bed and things like that for them. Like people don't have reactions that you'd expect from no. average people. Like it, it's it's not a movie that I enjoyed. Going back to the analogy of it's like watching someone flip through films on the TV. Like, the first, I'd say, 20 minutes seem to build up to something quite good. Like, um, Sam Neill's character returns. His wife's very standoffish. She wants to leave him. There's, like, a lot of tension. There's a kid involved. And then it just sort of... Someone's flick channels, and it's like a cosmic horror. Then it's uh, flick channels again, and it's a police show, and they flick channels again. It's, 
there's no sort of unity to the genre of the film at all. It's it's very like up and down. It just... I kind of as I was watching it, I was like, okay, so the movie's called Possession, so I was trying to keep Possession in mind. It's nothing to do with Possession or anything like that. No. So it's about two people who have idolized ideas of what their opposites and their relationship should be like, and it's them creating essentially their idealized version of their partners but they're not real it's like an allegory for they both like you said ideal versions of their other halves yeah so this eldritch terror monster is the idealized version of sam neill's character but what doesn't make sense is the idealized version of his wife so his the actress who plays his wife in it plays two characters his wife and the um teacher at a local school and they look almost identical they are identical it's the same same actress with a wig yeah, but like that's what I mean. Almost I don't know. That has nothing to do with the Eldritch Terror Monster baby. It's just there's someone who looks incredibly like her. It... So the 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 monster. So the, there's parts of this movie that felt like um, Hellraiser. Um, yes. So like the the monster that's in it is like constantly oozing blood and pus and things like that. But like as time goes on through this movie, it gets more and more sort of put together. Um, there's a weird technical porn scene in it, um, which I feel like would have um, decided the... Uh, I think there's a good reason why this movie was put on the video nasties list. And certainly at the time in 1981, this whole like technical porn bit, there's constantly using blood and pus and stuff, and like the wife's having sex with it. There's a weird thruple situation that's going on. It's... Yeah. <laughs> Well, as you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Elevated Horror, but I feel like this is the worst bits of Elevated Horror years previous. And I know this is a very well-loved film, but it's it gave me vibes of, you know, like Men, the film we watched. Yes. Like that, where it didn't really make sense. The, and a, it was, the A24 movie, Yeah. If anyone's curious, yeah. It, like, it didn't really make sense, and I feel like they were trying to go for a deepness where there was none. This movie... I went into it expecting a Possession movie with the title of Possession. Yeah. I saw a big name actor, Sam Neill, recognised him, was like, oh, brilliant. I recognise Sam Neill. I know other things that he's been in. I'm looking forward to this movie because I know the video nasties are very hit and miss. Some are incredibly low budget. Some have higher budgets. Some are big name actors. Some have, some are like have completely unheard of people who've never been in anything else. Um, so I went into this expecting it to be a good movie and i think because i started watching it expecting a good movie and it was not a good movie <laughs> i was very angry but i was very snappy at the end of it you were like, i was really grumpy i had to go and find something i asked for a palate cleanser before we watched um butcher baker nightmare maker like, can we just watch something in between these movies? Just so it's a bit like if you, when you're little and you watch like a horror film or you're first being introduced to horror films and things, you need to watch like a Disney movie afterwards because so, like you feel so shook up at the end of it. I was just angry. I just, I just wanted to watch something. I think we watched The Office for a little bit. Now I realise we've been trash talking this film for the last fifteen minutes, so I will actually say things about the film I liked. We'll both take turns. Good luck. Well, no, like there was. The monster design and the special effects were really good. Like the the potential might not have been their monster with the tentacles. I thought they'd done that really well. And the sex scene was a very creepy and disturbing scene to watch. Mm-hmm. So like 
they did succeed on that. And like even the, um, if you excuse the overacting of the miscarriage scene, like these special effects of like the ooze and the green and the blood all like coming out of all of her orifices, like that was pretty well executed. And you can see like in terms of um, how the wife would bring over men and kill them to feed them to this monster, like you said, elements of Hellraiser, whether this film inspired that a little bit. I'm not sure which came first, Hellbound Heart or this. But those are bits which I think they did do really well. Yeah, I feel like... So, the bits that I liked in this movie, there was a couple of like very subtle nods that I liked. And I I say this, but it kind of goes against it towards the end of the movie. Like When he's having his interview, they talk about, does the man still wear pink socks? And yeah. we both thought that was code. Like he was a spy trying to like figure out if people were homosexual or not. And then you have like the Heinrich character who is very sort of touchy feely with Sam Neill and things and sort of like discussing like how he makes love to his wife and stuff like that. It was almost like a bisexual thruple situation. Yeah. That they were sort of like alluding to. And then um I'm trying to think. So there's a private investigator that Sam Neill has following his wife Anna. And he he is killed and fed to the monster and the owner of the investigation company goes to see Sam Neill and sort of reveals that he lives with this private investigator um, so like th- he knows that he's not returned home and things like that and that's not like him he would always call beforehand and stuff so there was like a couple of like queer characters that were in it but like not a big deal was made out of it and for like 1981 uh, movies like having queer characters anyway and like not having them be like a butt of jokes and things like that was a good move because even now there's movies that come out where they have non-straight characters are just like the punchlines like Halloween kills Big John Little John for example yeah Yeah. like the pointless characters that are added in but it it added to this movie rather than took away from it whereas I felt like the Big John Little John in Halloween kills that took away from the movie. It was like, why Why are you just adding these characters? It was a really strange misstep, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. But yeah, for it, I felt like it was quite progressive for the time. Um, and it would have upset a lot of audience members. And I feel like they would have been aware that it would have upset a lot of audience members at the time. But they did it anyway. Uh, so I applaud them for that. What would you say the scare level is? Scare level? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say there was any there were any scares in this movie, but there was a lot of scenes that made you feel a little bit queasy. Like the monster scenes were quite nausea-inducing just because of the amount of like pus and things like that that there is going on. There's like weird glowing, gaping hole in it at one point. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is unsettling. Um, and you have a zoom in on its face and it's like weird fish eyes at the side of its head. Yeah, it's a bit body horror realm, isn't it? I would say so. Um, but like, whereas films like Society did body horror with almost like a comedy aspect to it. And um, The Thing did body horror with like a scare factor to it. This did body horror with a weird sexual grossness grossness to yeah. it yeah um yeah zero for the scare level i'd agree um the, to be fair, the miscarriage scene that was fairly unsettling i think the majority of this film's unsettling 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, the miscarriage scene, I know you said you, you felt like it was overacting. Things yeah, like the that, first That was probably bit. one of the few scenes that I enjoyed where she's just walking along and she's screaming. And like, that must have been a very hard scene See, on the actress. Because like I imagine her throat must have been raw by the end of it. No, I get that. It was just the... Stri- like She was miscarrying. And like the bit where I'm saying she's overacting is she gets her shopping and repeatedly bashes it against the wall and then she's spinning around. And then, then it, it's... But this is like halfway through the movie. So at this point, you understand that this character's insane anyway. I know, but it was just those bits. It was like, who... Mm-mm. But yeah, for me, scare level zero. Do you believe it belongs in the video nasty list? Uh, yes, I feel like it should still be banned so nobody ever has to watch it. I will repeat this. You can't put something on the video nasty list because you didn't like it. <laughs> do, you th- it <laughs> do you think it merits being banned from people because of the nature of the film? So there's only really one scene in this movie that I think would warrant it to be on any sort of banned list. Uh, because like... Having children in horror films is almost a bit of an odd thing to have. It is it's it's quite limiting in terms of what they can do in a horror film. Yeah. But there was there were scenes in this which involved a child which was like a little bit unsettling. Like you say, like where he was like holding his child the same way he holds his they wife. Hold his mm. wife while the child's topless and he's topless. But there was also a scene where like the child was having a nightmare, woke up in the middle of the night screaming. Sam Neill's character's in bed with the teacher, the idolised version of his wife. And he goes in, consoles his son, like holds him and things like that, and then puts him down, sends, like leaves the room. And it's only when Sam, uh, Mark, Sam Neill's character, leaves the room that you realise he was naked the whole time. Yeah. So it, like, it never... He obviously wasn't naked in that scene where he's holding this boy who's not his own child, like th- th- this young boy actor. But it's implied that he was naked the entire time. And I'm like, mm, that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Um, that's the only scene where I reckon it would have raised some alarm for people deciding on the rating of this movie. To be fair, like I wouldn't personally put it on the video nasties list. Um, there is a, one scene in it which I think potentially could have been handled better, but again, I'm on about the miscarriage scene because it's so overacted in places that I feel like it sort of does that tragedy of life a bit poorly but again like i can't put i wouldn't put something on a band list because of the acting in it so i i wouldn't personally think it belongs in the video nasties list just on a list of things you should never watch we're very different people ban it ban it now (laughs) so the second movie we'll be reviewing is butcher baker nightmare maker Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, also known as Night Warning, is a 1981 American horror film directed by William Asher and starring starring Susan Terrell, Jimmy McNichol and Bo Svensson. The plot of the film follows a young boy named Billy, played by Jimmy McNichol, who is being raised by his aunt, Julie, played by Susan Terrell, after his parents died. Julie is overprotective of Billy and becomes increasingly possessive as he grows older. When Billy starts to date, date a girl his own age, Julie becomes jealous and begins to suspect that the girl is trying to steal him away from her. As her obsession deepens, she starts to have violent thoughts and begins to stalk the girl. The film is known for its intense and disturbing portrayal of a woman's descent into madness, as well as its exploration of themes such as maternal obsession and the dangers of overprotectiveness. Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker was included on the video nasties list because of its graphic violence and disturbing content, which was deemed to be potentially harmful to viewers. 
The film was banned in the UK for many years due to its portrayal of child murder and incest. However, it has since been re-released and gained a cult following. The film is considered a classic of the horror genre and has been praised for its intense performances, innovative storytelling and powerful imagery. So, what did you think? Oh, it's the, it's the best one we've watched so far, isn't it? Like, 100%. It was, it's, a, it's a very, very good slasher. It, like You described it as like it feels like an origin story of Pamela uh, Voorhees. Pamela Voorhees, yeah. They really did well the um, descent into madness with her, just how she looks at the start of the film, how she acts and how she looks. She just looks like a sweet aunt, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, she's very squeaky clean at the start. <laughs> yeah, like sort of, not Stepford wife level, but in that vicinity. But as the film goes on and she gets more and more obsessed with her nephew, like her appearance gets more disheveled, like she acts more erratic and more controlling. It. They've really done that well. Whereas the depiction of madness in possession was scream and chuck yourself against walls and act like, I don't even know, like... Spin around in circles while you're talking to people. Yeah, this actually did it in a really good way where you could visually see and hear like the descent yeah it, th- there is a definite sort of like reverse oedipus syndrome which is happening during this movie as well where julie is she's very touchy-feely with her nephew and she'll like she'll like hold his arm and caress him like in front of police officers and things like that and like try and hide behind him and things she'll wake him up in the morning while he's like lying in bed in his underwear and will like purr over him to wake him up yeah, and like sort of like lightly, sort of like lovingly scratches back and things like that. I will say as well in this movie, um, so Billy's character I think turned seventeen during the movie, but the actor at the time was twenty. There's like unsettling scenes where you're a bit like, is this a naked teenager she's talking to? Is she trying to get into the shower? Um, does this woman have exposed breasts and holding a teenage boy? She doesn't. It is a twenty-year-old man. This feels like a film that I would just casually watch, whereas the other one feel very like sort of pulp fiction almost in that. The very acquired little cult films that we've watched so far. This one just feels like a decent film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would definitely say it was like on the level of the sort of like the slashes. Yeah. Like the, the sort of like well thought of slashes like the Chuckies, the Friday the 13th, the Nightmare on Elm Streets and things. It's up there. It's up there with those. And I feel like if this film wasn't banned, potentially they would have made sequels to it or like it would have had as much of a following as those other movies. Yeah, I agree. Like It was very good. It was very, very good. It um, did put me in mind of Serial Mum and oh, the John Waters film. Yeah, 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 yeah. However, like, this one isn't a comedy, but it was that same sort of psychotic parental parent. Or like Ma, which is very yes. sort of like overly sort of like... It's, Attached. It's, yeah, yeah, it's very much that. Um, there is a very homophobic uh, and racist police officer who's like the main detective through the movie as well. That being said, because he is very homophobic, in terms of representation of homo- homophobics, <laughs> um, of homosexuals in this film, this really kind of champions them a little bit because the main character, Billy, he finds out his coach is actually gay and he's fine with it. Yeah, so the first kill of the movie, the first kill that you see in the movie, is the aunt killing the TV repairman. So she tries to have sex with him, tries to convince him to have sex with her, um, and he tries to get away. Billy sees through the window what looks like a struggle between the two of them, and the aunt stabs him. So in Billy's mind, it's, oh, she stabbed him because he was trying to rape her. Yeah. Uh, which is the her story that she she tells. But like, as the viewer, you're aware that he was trying to get away. And you're a bit like, 
fair enough. Some, not everybody, maybe he just didn't find her attractive and things like that. But it's revealed that uh, the TV repairman and Billy's coach, his basketball coach, uh, were in a relationship, and it's sort of, it's very subtly done and very well done as well. And like I said, the they, not that they don't make a big deal out of it. They don't sort of demonize. Yeah, they don't don't turn them into caricatures as well. Like no. I was saying before, in 1981 as well, the only time you'd really see gay men represented in mainstream media were kind of like comic relief characters. Yeah. Um, but like you really felt for these characters, and it was quite upsetting because the homophobic detective convinces the coach to leave his job, otherwise he'll be lynched. Um, and it's very you you sort of you fear for these characters, don't you? It's done in such a good way where you don't like they're not caricatures. You're sort of on their side, and the homophobic police officer, like you're instantly made to dislike him. You dislike it from the start anyway. Yeah, like but... how he goes about questioning Billy and um, what's the answer name again? Julie. Yeah. How how he goes about questioning them and their friends after a murder has just happened, they're apparently the victims of someone trying to rape them in their own house. And he's just, he's very dismissive of it and things like that. He keeps, he insinuates that, that Billy's a fag all the way through the film. Um, like, oh, he must be close with the coach because he's a fag himself. They like go to the uh, Billy's girlfriend and like ask them whether they're sexually, ask her whether they're sexually active and things like that. It's all like the, the police are very much the bad guys in this movie. Okay. Well, everyone who you're meant not meant to like, so the ant and the police officer, they're the homophobic ones. Or, well, the ant's not as explicit as the police officer oh, she, is. She, but she, she, she is. She calls it like disgusting and things like that. Yeah, immoral. But she's not outright calling him a fag or anything like that. But like the homophobic people in this film are the ones you're not meant to like. Yes. Which is really, it's quite forward thinking of a film of that time zone. Mm-hmm. And that area as well where it's sex, it feels like. Judging by what the detective like has on his walls and things like that, it's like longhorn um, like displays and things like that. Yeah, uh, it gives the impression as though it's from somewhere in Texas where the movie's set, and like it's quite hot outside. There's like they, they they're always having lunch outside. It's always like very hot. Yeah, um, it gives the impression as though that that's where it's set. So 1981 Texas, that's kind of like the feeling you'd expect from majority of people, but. Yeah, they're very much like painted as the villains, and like, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by that. And like Billy's character in it as well, like he's very dismissive of anybody who calls the coach a pervert and things like that. So there's a scene with Billy in this movie where, when people are like challenging his relationship with the coach, he goes to his coach's defense. Like he's almost like the father figure for him in this movie. There's never ever anything like insinuated to be like sexual towards them, except from these villain characters. And one of them is a character called Eddie, who's like a boy in the basketball team with Billy. Yeah. He's a bit of a bully anyway and things like that. That's the impression you get earlier in the film. Played by Bill Paxton. So like a very young Bill Paxton is uh, shows up in this movie. So Bill Paxton thinks like Twister, he's in Titanic, Weird Science, True Lies, Tombstone, like a very high profile actor. And him as like a 16, 17 year old in this movie. Uh, just in the background, just like the odd bully. I thought that was quite cool. Like I said, I, I can understand why it got banned. Like the sort of positivity homosexual message in the film isn't really something like the UK really wanted being displayed for everyone to see. I, f- I feel like it's probably more banned for the incest undertones. Yeah, I suppose it is that. But again, Thatcher brought in the, um, oh, what's the school law? 
Oh, I know which one you mean. Where the, where the teachers weren't allowed to like come to defense of like homophobic bullying and things. Yeah, weren't allowed to talk positively about like gays so or I, anything. I feel like a film like this coming out at that time would have ruffled too many feathers. So it would have been easier just to ban it. But I feel like they really have like suffocated what could have been a really good franchise. Yeah, I think it, I think it would have been great. And I, honestly, like yeah, it does feel like an origin story of Pamela Voorhees. Um, it was it was very cool, and even like the special effects, like the opening scene where the boy's parents, Billy's parents, are killed, it was done so well. Yeah, shocking car crash at the start of the movie, like that sort of trope. But yeah, it was very. We did chuckle at it because we thought, oh, they've actually gone quite tasteful with the car crash. But, like <laughs> someone's someone's head's taken off, um, and then they fall down a cliff. And the car is completely destroyed as it falls down the cliff, and you're like, "Fucking hell, that was a, that was a good wreck." And then it sets on fire. Yeah, and I, you can't, it's an eighties film, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's an eighties film. They love explosions. Is the whole thing isn't there where like every car wreck that happens in a movie has to be bigger and louder <laughs> than the one before it? So I feel like yeah, it was it was a fun opening, and like quite quite a shocking scene to be fair from the uh, very start of the movie. Plot of the movie is pretty straightforward. Possessive aunt doesn't want her son to a son, her nephew who turns out to be her son. Yeah, doesn't want him to go off and go to college with his girlfriend. She wants to keep him there. She's trying to like hamper its growth to the point of giving him GHB and yeah, she's sort of t- kind of tying him, not tying him down, but like keeping him drugged in a room like that level. Yeah, so like if he's trying to get a scholarship to, to play, is it basketball? Yeah, to play basketball at um, a university, the same university that his girlfriend's going to, would have been like a full ride scholarship. She drugs him before the game where a scout is going to be present and things. So she she actively goes out of her way to keep him there. But the more she push, like pulls him back, the more he sort of sees her for who she is. Yeah, the more I, star systems will uh, your fingers. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> The plot makes sense, and it's so rare for a video nasty film to make sense, and I really love it for that. It was good acting as well. It was a good acting. Good acting, good, good effects, good story. It was an original story as well. I have not seen another film which is like this one, because um, it was it, there was a lot of like incest undertones in it as well, which was very uncomfortable. Like the aunt sort of like being very touchy feely, um, talking to him while he's like trying to get into the shower and things and he's yeah. naked, like kissing on the mouth and things like that. That but that happens like later on in the movie. But yeah, I, I just, the characters in it are consistent and I'm happy with it. I believe they would act how they acted. Oh it all makes sense, doesn't it? Like, yeah it's, it's it's a good it's a good movie. So what would you say the scare level is? Less of a scare, but there is always a feeling of threat in the movie. Yeah from the police uh, more than anything else i feel and the from the ant and the police there's always a level of threat you're very concerned for billy but less less scare less jump scare more you want the characters to pull through and you, you see them going into dangerous situations and you're scared for them yeah but like not necessarily a scary movie i was gonna say i would put this on like akin with the first friday the 13th film that level of scary so it's not scary by today's standards but i imagine at the time it would have been scarier the effects would have been more like oh wow but yeah the, the element of threat you mentioned is pretty palpable throughout it all yeah yeah it definitely is like certainly as you see the ant get more and more unhinged through the movie you fear for the characters around her definitely so your general opinion of the film i thought it was great i think it's the best uh best one of the video nasties that we've watched so far 
I would watch it again. Uh, and I don't think I could say that for any of the other video nasties. So <laughs> I was about to say that's a first, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was. I did think it was like a standout film that should have more of a fanfare. Honestly, like after the last film we watched, Possession, I was starting to think maybe. The video nasties aren't for us. Maybe we should find a new gimmick, but this film restored my faith and I'm happy to continue on in this format. <laughs> I feel like it's definitely got a cult following, but I feel like fans of like the slasher genre, if you like Scream, if you like Friday the 13th, like, if you like all those movies, you will like this movie. Yeah. Like it will be one of your go-to movies. And it's it's fantastic. I, I, I thought it was great. It was a very good example of the slasher genre. I agree. So do you think this film belongs on the video nasty list? Would you put it there yourself? Um, no, I feel like if it was made today uh, and they wanted to sort of like give that impression of incest and things like that, which is which is like one of the overarching themes of this movie, um, it would have been a lot more in your face and a lot, it, it would have been a lot more uncomfortable. Um, but I, they didn't sort of throw it at you in this movie. Like it was all like heavily implied. I, well, she never, other than kissing him later on, like, and a few stroking of his skin, there was never anything actually explicit. It was more like over-possessiveness. Yeah. Incest. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think it should be on the video nasties list. Like like we say, like, it was up there with those other slasher examples. Yeah. In terms of what you see in the movie. Potentially, it might have been, like, the incest thing that got it banned. Potentially, it might have been the... Um, showing police officers in a negative light, which I know people aren't really a fan of. Um, it's it's a good movie that will appeal to a wide audience. Yeah, like if this film came out today with like the same sort of technology for effects that we have today, I don't think anyone would bat an eyelid at this film mm. with the homosexuality references. I feel like more people would be shocked at how the police officer is openly saying the word fag and stuff like that. Like the whole incest angle, like I feel like people aren't as shocked at that anymore. I mean, look at Game of Thrones; like every family's having sex with each other on that like TV program. It's just, it's not as shocking as when it first came out. So I personally would not put this film on the video nasty list. No, yeah, definitely not. So we are going to completely forego the Wheel of Misfortune and instead go with the theme next uh, next episode of Cannibals. Specifically, the 1980s classic Hannibal Holocaust. Hannibal Holocaust? Oh no. <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> I'll do that again. No, 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 leave it in. Okay. And the 1972 film Hannibal Man. Cannibal Man. <laughs> 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 it's all about Hannibal Lecter next week. Yeah, no cannibals, only Hannibals. I am looking forward to doing Hannibal. Oh my god, I can't. I can't. <laughs> cannibal, cannibal Holocaust, because yeah. it's such a well-known, infamous film. There's a lot of controversy around it, isn't there? And I'm, I'm excited to be discussing what controversy there is surrounding it next, uh, next time. Um, it's it's the one it's most probably the most high profile one of the video nasties. It's the one most people have heard of. Yeah, I'll agree with that one. And uh, the Cannibal Man. Um, it's, I, apparently, if it was it was only put on the nasties list because of its name. It had Cannibal in the title, therefore, 
um, it was put on the video Nazis list, but apparently it's not it's not that violent. So it'd be interesting to do two films where where we know it's incredibly violent with their cannibal holocaust and one where it's probably one of the least not not least known but one of the lesser known video nasties fair, which like, isn't considered to be very violent there's like four or five films on that list which begin with cannibal not hannibal yeah yeah i feel like they, they might have just been thrown on there because of the names yeah yeah so that will be next episode dear viewers listeners podcasters <laughs> So thank you for listening to this week's video trauma. We'll be back in two weeks to cover Hannibal. <laughs> Cannibal. Cannibal. Are you spooner? You give it a spoonerism. I can't help it? it. It's like fart smeller. <laughs> like once you hear fart smeller, like you can't say smart fella. It's a real struggle. Hannibal Holocaust. Can't shut up. All right. <laughs> Attempt number three. We'll be back in two weeks to cover Hannibal Co- <laughs> Oh God, Callum, please just read it for me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Video Trauma. We'll be back in two weeks to cover Cannibal Holocaust and the Cannibal Man. This one. Do you want to try the thank you for listening bit? I'll just, I'll try it. Thank you for listening to Video Trauma. We'll be back in two weeks to cover Hannibal. Did I say Hannibal? Yeah. Why are you struggling with this? I don't know. Stop it. We'll be back in two weeks to cover Hannibal, Ca- Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Man. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at VideotraumaPod. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. Until next time, stay, stay nasty. nasty.